Well, let's go to our Bibles to Luke 5. Luke 5. And we're beginning a new series today, a brand new series called Jesus, Who Is He? He is the leading character of the best-selling book in all of human history, the Bible. If you knew that or not. He's the leading character and the, it's the best-selling book. He is on the cover of more magazines and he is in, in more forms of art, every form of art. And he's, he has affected how uh, we, we look at culture and language and time and space as well as politics. He's the centerpiece of discussion. And today we begin a series that will take us through Easter and past. Who is he? Who is this man? Now, you've probably heard it before, uh, the story uh, uh, in the line really attributed to uh, Marie Antoinette, the Austrian princess who became the queen of France after marrying Louis XVI. Legend says that um, she was informed that the peasants, the French peasants, were starving because they had no bread. And what did she reply? Well, let them eat cake. Let them eat cake. Well... What Marie didn't realize is if they don't have bread, there's a fair chance they don't have cake. She was so out of touch with the people she was supposed to be leading and serving that they couldn't stand her. And I don't want to ruin the ending, but it wasn't good for her. We've seen it before. People who are out of touch, they're privileged and spoiled. They may be rich. They perhaps are educated, but they always seem to be out of touch. There are people who don't know how to use a scanner at the store, don't know how to wait in line. There are people who think that people, other people are here to serve them. There are pawns in their hand. And they're always out of touch. What they don't know is that they, they don't know what an overdraft notice looks like or a shutoff notice because life's never been that hard on them. So they don't get it when other people have hard times. And they don't know how to treat people as persons. They treat people as non-persons. You ever been treated as a non-person, as an object rather than a being? And they, they view people sometimes as problems to be solved rather than humans to be understood and cared for and valued. And why do they do that? It's because they're out of touch. They just don't get it. And when Jesus came to earth, get this, he came to seek and to save the lost. He came to lead those who are wandering Back to the fold, he, he wanted to save all who were willing to be saved. And so he died, and his blood was sufficient for the whole world, all of the sin of all time and all places. It is, a grand, it is a grand agenda, but he was on a super agenda from heaven under the administration of the Father and through the power of the Holy Spirit. And this Jesus came to seek and to save the lost. It was a huge agenda, and in, in, in something so monumental, it would be easy it'd be easy for this Savior to be clueless about so many other things because he was on such, a big, uh, on such a big project. But that's not the way people described him. The impression he left after he left the earth, after he died for the sins of the people, and after he rose again, one writer would put it this way, for we don't have a high priest who is unable to sympathize or empathize with our weaknesses. In other words, our high priest gets it. He really gets it. He was one who was tempted in every way, and yet we find that he did not sin. He knows what it's like to work hard, and he knows what blisters feel like, and he knows what it is to have bills to pay. He knows what it's like to support a single mom 
because uh, perhaps dad died early. He knows what it's like to face disappointment, rejection, betrayal, and grief. And he knows what it's like to be faced with the burden of sin, he knows. And so the Savior that I want to uh, kind of uh, unveil for you today from Luke chapter 5 is you have a Savior who knows what it's like to be you. He is the Son of Man. He is able to identify with your sorrows and your suffering, as well as your moments of pleasure, your moments of happiness, and your successes. He gets it. He is the Son of Man. There are many illustrations, but Luke 5 does it perhaps the best. And uh, so just take a couple of minutes, take a look at this clip, and then I'll come back. his statutes which he has commanded you you shall do what is right and what is good in sight of the Lord so the Lord commanded us to observe all these statutes shall we picture the kingdom of God it is like a mustard seed which a man took and sowed in his field the smallest seed in the world yet when planted grows up. Rabbi. Sins are forgiven, my son. Did you hear that? He has forgiven his sins. I thought only God could do that. It's not blasphemy. He knows. It is blasphemy. Is that your wish, my friend? <laughs> 
will answer me. Tell me which is easier. To say his sins are forgiven. Or say he. Son of man has authority to forgive sin. Friends! What is this about? Not even Moses himself would have thought he could forgive sin. You heard what our teacher said. On what authority does he think he can do this? On his authority. That is blasphemy. Only God can forgive sin. And your friend could be stoned for a false claim like this. This is just the beginning. Let's go! Luke 5, verse 17. One day, Jesus was teaching, and the Pharisees and the teachers of the law were sitting there. They came from every village of Galilee and from Judea and Jerusalem, and the power of the Lord was with Jesus to heal the sick. Stop there. Pharisees, uh, people who were prescribed and educated to keep the law and to teach people about the law, this goes back hundreds of years, not new to them. What's new to them is that, that these leaders would come from Jerusalem, Judea. This is becoming a widespread following that Jesus now has. And as he comes, he comes with the power, and it's the word, the Greek word is the word dunamis. It's our word for dynamo. It, in other words, he generates it. And he's not getting this from somewhere else. The power that Jesus is healing with is power that he generates. It's important to get the term. So some men came carrying a paralyzed man on a mat and, and uh, tried to take him into the house to lay him before Jesus. But they could not find a way to do this because of the crowd. So they went up to the roof and lowered him on his mat through the tiles into the middle of the crowd right in front of Jesus. Can you imagine... Um, can you imagine being part of that crowd that day? Wanting um, to catch a glimpse of Jesus or hear a bit of the teaching of Jesus. And of course, Jesus' reputation now was widely known. Since it was widely known, um, the crowd was getting bigger and he was more popular. So they were mesmerized, not only by his teaching, but, but particularly by the miracles. So when one guy who can't get there because he's paralyzed says, guys, could you help me? If you could just imagine it for a moment, his buddies say, well, we'll help you. We'll get you there. They get him there, and the crowd's so big, we might as well go home. Have you ever done that before? Pull into the lot. There are no parking spots left. <laughs> Let's just go home. 
but they loved their friends so much that they said, no, there's got to be another way. And one of them says, let's go up on the roof. Verse 20, and when Jesus saw their faith, he said, friend, your sins are forgiven. Imagine it. Again, just see it from another perspective. Jesus is teaching. He's giving some great message here. And if you're like me, I'm, um, I'm kind of into the construction stuff. I like that. I'm wondering, what's up on that roof? And how did they cut a hole in that thing? And how long would that have taken? And how did it hold the four other guys and just lower the one down? And how did they lower him down in the That's what construction guys are going to think. Some of you are not construction people. You're neat people. And you're going, oh, they just made another mess. Drywall dust everywhere. Yes. And others of the deep thinkers are going, don't interrupt the sermon. This is interrupting. You're cutting a hole in the roof. Do it somewhere else. Go to another house and cut a hole in the roof. And then the other, the opportunist in the crowd are going, I'm going to get up there. I could get closer to Jesus. I could sell seats on the roof. That's what the opportunists are thinking. And of course, there's a handful, because we're close to D.C., there's a handful of regulators here. And you're all going, I don't think that's the code. Yeah, and if you're arguing with me now, you are a regulator. That's what you are. Oh yeah, that doesn't look safe. Lowering a guy down on ropes. He was already paralyzed. There's not hardly a way you can hurt him anymore. <laughs> and when Jesus saw, what's the what's the next word? Their faith, not his faith. You see the difference? I believe in inspiration of the scriptures, word for word. It's plural there. What faith was Jesus looking at? Not the faith of the guy, the faith of the, of the guys, of the rope holders. And so, does it ever occur to you that you could be part of a miracle in someone else's life simply by holding the ropes for them? And that may be what Easter is for you this year. Perhaps God will change the hearts and lives of people and they'll get close to Jesus if you'll do your part and hold the ropes and help them get to Jesus. These guys, you know, if you were to put down, okay, what was your ministry this week? They go, well, I didn't do much. I carried a guy to get him close to Jesus. And then I held the ropes to hold him level while he came down through the hole. That's pretty important stuff. The miracle probably wouldn't have happened if it hadn't been for the four other guys. And the grace moment is when Jesus looks at them and then he says to the guy, your sins are forgiven. Now, now that's huge. It almost gets past us because we see the obvious. The guy walks. But what he really gets is forgiveness of sins. And that's the miracle of God's grace. But why would Jesus say your sins are forgiven? The reason he would do that is you have to go back in culture to really know what's happening here. <clears throat> if a person walks in our auditorium with a, a red, white, and blue outfit on, you might view them as patriotic, or you might view them as a member of the Patriots, the New England Patriots, right? If they're red and gold, uh, you might view them as a, a fan of what? The Redskins, yes. Uh -huh. And if they're wearing purple, like Ernest was this morning, it was very subtle, but I know down deep, what's he cheering? The Ravens, yes. I know what's going on there. The Vikings. 
Okay, then. I, I went, don't interrupt the miracle. <laughs> but you, you understand there's certain associational things. In the biblical day, I mean, in our day, you see certain colors, you think certain teams. In that day, when they saw a guy who couldn't walk, you know what they thought? Who sinned? Did he sin? Or did his parents sin? It's the way they viewed it. So what did Jesus do? He, he wiped that one away right now. Your sins are forgiven. The guy was still lame, though. The guy still couldn't walk. But his sins were forgiven. So what's he saying? You know, you're not lame because of a sin issue. You're lame because you're lame. But you're lame so I can give you God the Father in heaven the glory. Hope you get this. Because now you're going to be part of an illustration. And, it, it, and you're going to benefit from it because you're going to get to walk. But the real benefit is, is they're going to get to see they're going to get to see that I am the son of man, okay? Now, which is easier for you to say? Because he knew what was on their hearts. Verse 21, teachers of the law began to think to themselves, who is this fellow that he speaks with a blasphemy? Who can forgive sins but God alone? And, and Jesus knew what they were thinking. In this movie clip, they actually had to verbalize what they were thinking because it's hard to get all that out, you know, with just looks. You ever been in a room where the person knows what you're thinking and, you, and then you deny it and that's just proof that you really did think it? That's exactly what Jesus does. They can't even open their mouths and Jesus goes, I, I, I knew you were going to say it and here's the answer to that. The answer to that is, which is easier? For me to say forgiveness of sins, which you can't really see is implied. You really don't know if his sins are forgiven or not. Or get up and walk. Verse 24 so that I, but I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority to forgive sins, to forgive sins. Get this. I want you to know that the Son of Man, this is the description of the one who cares. Get this? He's not saying the King of Kings. What's he saying? This is the Son of Man. This is the one who knows the sorrows and knows the human condition. Because anyone could say, your sins are forgiven, and it may not happen. It may, but it may not happen. But when you see the miracle, and he could have performed another miracle. Get this. He could have parted water. He could have said, let's go out to the river. I'll part the water like Moses did. Or let's uh, pour water on an altar, and I'll start a fire like Elijah did. But you, and that would have been a miracle, okay? But what does he do? The Savior takes the guy in front of him, and he does two things at the same time. He not only heals him, and he proves that he's deity in the process, but he cares for him. I hope you get this. He could have performed any miracle, but the one in front of him is the one the guy needed. He didn't need an altar catching on fire, and he didn't need the river parted. What did he need? He needed to be able to walk. And so he said to the paralyzed guy, I tell you, take up your mat and go home. And immediately he stood up in front of them and, and took what he had been lying on and he went home, and this is understatement, praising God. Can you imagine? <laughs> you can imagine what dinner discussion was tonight? Can you imagine what that would be like? Everyone was amazed and gave thanks to God. They were filled with awe. The word awe here is, is the word... Um, for a spiritual kind of reverence and fear 
of Jesus. It was a combination at the same time. And they said, we have seen remarkable things. No one's going to believe this. And the guy rolls up his mat and he walks home praising God. People are amazed. And it's almost as if forgiveness takes a back seat. Why? Because it's not seen. But later that night, you can almost be sure that guy sitting at the dinner table with his wife and kids says, if he could do this with my legs, I'll bet he did forgive me. See? And that would lead you and me, if that were our experience, to a reverential kind of fear, what the Bible describes as awe. This is the first time in Luke's gospel that he will call the Savior the Son of Man. The Son of Man. And that's who Jesus is. But that's not the first time that term is used. Ezekiel will have used that term some 80 times. Daniel will as well. Luke himself, the physician, who addresses the physical caring attributes of Jesus more than any of the other three gospels, four total, the other three gospels, he will use the phrase 23 times, leading us to believe, as some scholars would, would uh, assert, this is Jesus' favorite title. This is the one Jesus liked, the Son of Man. It's used at least 82 times in the Gospels, telling us this is what Jesus emphasized. So when you hear the name Jesus or Jesus Christ, Jesus of Nazareth, you may think of him as Savior or King or coming King, and he's all those. But what does Jesus want you to know? He wants you to know he is the Savior, but he is the Savior who gets it, who understands, who empathizes with you in your sorrow who knows your pain, who knows your struggle, and addresses that not just for heaven, but for here on earth. The implications are huge. The implications are that we have a human savior, not a savior that is distant, but this is important. We have a savior who understands because we need a savior who is not only powerful enough to save, but we we need a savior who's human enough to empathize with us. But that's not all. We have a Savior who not only is human, we have a Savior who cares. No amount of miracles or authority would matter if Jesus didn't care. We might run and hide if you saw someone with that amount of power who didn't care or used it in a haphazard sort of way. No, he leads with this title and he tells you and me more than anything else, this is what I want to be known for. I am the son of man. I get what you're going through. Not only is he the Savior who is human and the one who cares, but thirdly, we have a Savior who meets our needs. And while he is here to forgive us of our sins, he doesn't leave us in our desperate state. He addresses the issues of our lives and he helps us to prioritize them. So the application is really simple. I want to be like Jesus, and I think you, you do too. And if we're to be more like Jesus, what does that mean? The application's really basic. Number one, Be human. Don't be so mechanical. Give yourself space to be human. Give other people space to be human. Um, Don't demand of them a mechanical uh, um, kind of flip, a turn of the switch. Give people room to emote, to think, to process, to change their minds. Those are all biblical things, by the way. But give people room. But then secondly, 
make caring the agenda. You see, we have to be the people who attend to people and care, not just attend because we have to, but care. Why? Because Jesus cared. And if I want to be like Jesus, see, then the sermon isn't as important or the, the thing that I do isn't as important. What's maybe more important are the people in the process. So give people room to be human and care. Caring becomes the agenda in life. And looking out for the needs of others becomes almost natural that we enter into a situation and we strive to make it better. It means that we don't see people as an interruption. I was was doing a study, I'm going to close here in a minute, but I was doing a study in scriptures and, and a scholar made some note that it seems Every miracle that Jesus did, not, not, obviously not the case because not all the miracles are written and we don't have record of them all. And there could be a slant on every one that's a little different. Just like with this, quite frankly, you know, it's hard to know exactly what happened. Um, but we know enough to know this. It seems that every miracle that Jesus did was an interruption to what he was doing. Go back and read the stories of Jesus. And what you'll find is uh, kids run up to him, and what do his disciples say? Get the kids away. Get the kids away. Kids are the disease carriers of all, all diseases known to man are carried by preschoolers, right? Amen? Yeah, get them away. He's the Savior. He doesn't have time for sick leave, you know? You know some of you are just now getting that. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> but just at the moment, you think, oh, this is an interruption. No, Jesus goes, oh, no, no. This is why I'm here. And if you go back and read the miracles, you'll find almost every one of them, maybe every one of them, is an interruption to what Jesus was doing. He leaves to go get rest to get away. What is it? He rides in a boat across the lake, right, to get away. What do they do? They run around the lake. He goes, I did not, don't I know you people? You have brothers on the other side? No, it's us. We ran around the lake. I'm trying to get alone here. Okay, I'll feed you. See, we wouldn't have had the miracle of the feeding if, if there weren't an interruption. So the next time you're bothered by people because they're an interruption, ask yourself, how much is that like Jesus? That'd be the question. So we look out for the needs of others and we look for the teachable moment and we look... God, what is the character you're building in me? Why? Because Jesus, lesson number one, is the son of man. And he gets it. He understands you. And now, because we're Jesus followers, one of the biggest things we're going to do in life is learn to understand the people around us. Let's bow for prayer. Would you bow with me? And let's stand to our feet. Again, if you don't know Christ as Savior and you say, I, I just need to, um, I need to seal the deal. I need to make sure that I know Christ. I'm going to be offside uh, up here at the front on the left side of the floor. Be happy to pray with you. If you have another prayer need, I'd be happy to pray with you and just listen and pray. But Father in heaven, we don't want to miss out on the opportunity here. Um, so I pray for these dear people that we would see 
Jesus in each other and fan into flame the kind of faith that we want to have, the kind of perseverance, the kind of grace, uh, uh, the, the kind of character, the kind of compassion that Jesus had. So when people see us and, and communicate with us, they get a little bit of Jesus in all those conversations. And really for us to live would be Christ. We pray that. We thank you, Lord, that, that Jesus came to be our Savior and that in so doing, he wipes away and cancels our sin debt. Now, may we be forgiving with each other as well. And we pray this in the name of our risen Savior, Jesus. And the church says, amen? Amen. amen. amen.